Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me. Excited for our audio adventure today in the Freedom Hub. We've got a lot to discuss. If you want to call in, let me know your thoughts. 844 844- 900-2825-844-900. Buck, uh, today's one of those days where you have one continuing main story, main discussion, of course, around gun control that is taking up most of the media's attention. But then there's some other little ones popping up here and there that are perhaps more interesting than the headlines would initially indicate. And we will get into some of that as well. There seems to be a a growing movement, though, right now for an assault weapons ban, a ban on the AR-15 specifically, and we're not sure how far this is going to go, but we do know that this is a discussion that I have to say I'm a little surprised that at this point in time we are faced with this. The last time there was a discussion similar to what we have going on now in the country was after the Newtown uh, Sandy Hook shooting. And the Obama administration was pushing very hard. The media was pushing very hard for there to be sweeping gun control, and it did not happen. Something is different now. I think it's a number of factors. One, as I've said, is that guns are a stand-in for the culture war, the tribalism of left and right in this country. That's why for so many on the left, being an idiot when it comes to guns, meaning you don't have to know anything, you can say anything you want, you know, you can talk about automatic chain gun bazooka pistols and still get paid millions of dollars to go on TV and be a news anchor. I mean, that's that's because of the separation that exists right now in this country based on guns. Guns are a marker of one's politics, one's view of government, much more than just firearms and the tool that they are and whether they're used for good or for ill. So we are at this point, though, where the Trump administration is willing to listen to different policy proposals and, in fact, is even pushing for some. I thought at first that maybe this was just a posture they were taking because the emotions of the moment indicated that it would be a good idea to hear everyone out again. We, Because we, these are not new arguments. None of this is new. Nothing you are hearing now about guns from the left is new. This is just a repetition of the same debate, same discussion we've heard in the past. But now you have the difference of Trump, and therefore there's a feeling among the left and among Democrats that the hashtag resistance the so-called resistance, has an issue here that they can run with, that this is a form of political mobilization. This is very Saul Alinsky, my friends, right? Once you've mobilized people around 
pollution, then you mobilize them around corruption. Once you've mobilized them around corruption, then you mobilize them around affirmative action or you mobilize them around wealth redistribution or a mobilized political base is a tool for those pulling the strings. And this has become an issue of political mobilization. Right now, it seems strange, but the same uh, fervor and the same desire to to stand up against Trump, to do something about the Republicans, to hold them accountable, will be used, will be transferred into the discussions about immigration to come, into the discussions about everything, everything else leading up to the midterms. And then, of course, Trump's re-election campaign, which I would note he kicked off today by saying, hey, he's going to run again. I don't know why that was such big news. It would be news if he said he wasn't going to run again, but of course he's going to run again, right? This is, I didn't understand that. Like, oh my gosh, Trump is running. Yeah, we know. He's already had people very close to him that are saying, you know, this is a, you know, this is the first of seven years, so there's no surprise there. But on gun control, you have the differences here. Trump That's the first difference. And the second difference is that the media has found a new ploy, a new trick, and that is to take some of the victims and some of the survivors of this specific school shooting and promote and package them as policy experts and people that must be listened to. I have to say it's 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 surprising sometimes how much the left and how many different people in the Democrat Party seem incapable of understanding that this is a false argument. This is, this is not actually sound thinking. This is irrational. It's illogical. Oh, someone suffered a tragedy, so they get to determine national policy. That makes no sense. Someone suffered a tragedy. How dare you disagree with their policy proposals? Also makes no sense. But you'll see whether it's elected officials or big honchos in the media or any number of folks out there on the left who take umbrage. They get furious the moment you push back on the proposals again. And when you point out that these are 17-year-old kids in some cases, they're, they're going from congressman to congressman today. The media is waiting eagerly in the hallways as these kids march around and demand policy changes that will affect 320 million Americans. We're not allowed to say that we think they're wrong. Not allowed to point out that they don't know much about the issue. Also not allowed to point out that it's unfair and quite honestly unseemly to replace expertise with victimhood and think that people aren't going to aren't going to figure it out. Aren't going to notice the difference. I think it's quite different. I think that this is a very cheap and underhanded way that the left is both mobilizing and trying to get what it wants. And you'll see, for example, that there are others that have every bit the the moral authority and then on top of it, the policy authority of actually knowing something. But the media doesn't want to. media doesn't want to focus much on them. You had Steve Scalise, for example, speaking, uh, speaking and giving his thoughts on the school shooting in Florida. And Scalise, who very nearly died because of a left-wing Democrat who shot him and tried to shoot a whole bunch of other members of Congress at that baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia, stopped by a good guy and a good gal with a gun, I would note, as we've, uh, and they have those two members of the uh, D.C. Metro Police have been rightfully honored and celebrated for that. Uh, But 
Scalise has a different opinion from what we're hearing from many of these victims elevated by CNN. Scalise, who himself was hit by bullets and almost died as a result of it. So it would seem he would have every bit the moral authority that anybody else would have. Oh, and on top of that, he actually understands the issue of the Second Amendment and guns. Uh, He's pointing out that the massive and multi-leveled failure of law enforcement here is an abomination. Uh, The FBI had this guy's name on a silver platter, Uh, not just innuendo. And there were a lot of students in that school that said, we think he's going to be a school shooter. He himself said he wanted to be a professional school shooter. And it was posted under his name and ultimately turned over to the FBI. And somewhere along the way in the FBI's chain of command, they let it go. I think we ought to ask those tough questions and hold people accountable. There are really good people at the FBI, but clearly there are people at the FBI that chose to let this go. When you look at local law enforcement, you know, and the sheriff's been very outspoken in a lot of ways, uh, but I think what angered me the most is that there was a sheriff's deputy trained and armed at the school, assigned to protect the school, and, and he hit out instead of protecting those students and confronting the shooter. I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for law enforcement confronting the shooter in my case. So Steve Scalise is giving his thoughts on all this. And you'll notice that the media doesn't pretend that anyone who objects to Steve Scalise's point of view or anything is is hateful, is is, is violent. No, of course, he's an elected official. Oh, but how could you? These are just kids. They're speaking out. They're speaking out on a policy issue. That makes their arguments fair game. They've become public figures. I saw CNN today running a story about how one of the anti-gun or pro-gun control teenagers from uh, Stoneman Douglas High School has more Twitter followers than the NRA, as if that's now the that's the marker of of success. This is one of the great problems in social media, folks, is that people believe that social media is an indicator of one's greatness or rightness and you know, anytime anybody who's in the policy or public sphere and on issues of politics has that thought, they should just go look and see what like the second cousin of the Kardashians have in terms of followers. And they realize you're not that famous and you're not that influential. So, you know, get over yourself. But that's maybe that's a that's a separate conversation. Um, you have a push now for the AR-15 to be banned. You have members of Congress on the Democrat side, at least, who are talking about this. You had Trump hearing from shooting victims. I mean, this conversation is ongoing, but none of the underlying facts have changed. And here's one thing that I think people are just not willing to say right now or nobody wants to hear it is that, generally speaking, statistics bear this out, our schools are actually quite safe comparative, uh, comparatively to what they were Back in the 80s, for example, and even in the 90s, schools are safer. This is a, an atrocious and uh, gut-wrenching but aberrant. It's a very rare event. You could call it, uh, if you were doing probability analysis, you might call it a, a fat tail or a black swan or low probability, high impact. Something that just happens It is rare, but has a tremendous effect on the way people think about an issue or think about uh, a topic. And that's where we are right now. This is emotions driving the conversation. 
in part, I, I like to spend time here on the show and tell you, well, we could talk about rifles are used in less than 2% of all homicides involving guns across the country, right? Rifles are very, it's very rare for a rifle of any kind to be used in a, uh, in an illegal shooting. We could go over what happened when they banned AR-15s in the 90s. Oh, by the way, Democrats had a really rough time in Congress after they did that. And there have been Democrats until very recently who were quite outspoken on the topic of supporting the Second Amendment. Right now, they're all running and hiding. You have companies that have decided they are not sending a message of ostracism and stigmatization by changing the arrangements they have with the National Rifle Association as though the NRA has something to do with what happened at Stoneman Douglas. And you have people like the high schooler David uh, Hogg running around uh, saying that those who don't agree with them don't care about dead kids. And then when people like me say that's a disgraceful thing to say, how dare you? Look what he's been through. Yeah, this reminds me of when uh, occasionally in the sphere of news commentary, you come up against things where, you know, yeah, I could say to somebody, have you ever been to Afghanistan? Because if you haven't, I don't really want to hear what you have to say on the topic of, you know, troop levels there. Have you ever been to Iraq? Do you have any idea how difficult and bloody counterinsurgency work is? Because if the answer is no, I don't really want to hear what you think about. That's not a fair way to discuss an issue. I mean, obviously, experience influences your analysis and, and is helpful in a conversation, but it can't be a disqualifier. And on an issue like guns, it's not fair to be promoting a few individuals as having the answer. And there is no answer on this. We're not going to have an answer. There will be more school shootings in the future. Hopefully very, very few. Hopefully we'll go as long as possible without one. But this, like terrorism, is a problem that is with us. So all these people who are saying, oh, well, if they just did this, if we if we just do this one thing, if we could just do this one thing is a recipe for governmental disaster over time. There's any number of policy issues you can look at and say, well, if we just if it saves just one person, we should do that. If it saves just one. Is there no counter cost we can take into into uh, our consideration here? No counter argument. Oh, you must be for you must be in favor of dead children if you even question any of these things. It's all emotions, my friends. That's that's what's driving this right now. It's almost it almost feels wasteful to try and engage in a back and forth over the truth about guns, the truth about the Second Amendment, the realities of crime and whether pistols or fi- or rifles or all of this stuff and what's true in other countries versus what's true here. It feels like an exercise in futility at some level because right now it's just do you support the children? The answer is yes, you better ban guns. Notice they're even calling it. This is a very powerful sleight of hand that's just happened now in the discourse. But they are referring to it as gun safety. Oh, that's the biggest tip off. It's no longer gun control. It's no longer. It's obviously not gun ban, even though that's what they want to do. It's not even gun control. It's gun safety. Well, as every one of you listening who's ever handled a firearm knows, Gun safety involves things like never put your finger on the trigger until you're ready to shoot. Know where the safety is on your weapon. Make sure you know what your target is, what is behind it, and that you're making the active decision to shoot. All guns are always loaded. That's gun safety. 
Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are not pushing for gun safety. They're pushing for a gun ban, and they should be honest about that and not send children out to do their political work for them. And that's what is happening right now. All right, we got to go into a quick break. I, I will talk about the, the Kushner security clearance situation because everyone's making a huge deal out of that, and that's, that's uh, not as exciting as some people want to pretend it is. Uh, we've got more on Russia and Carter Page running around, all kinds of good stuff, so stay with me. We Democrats, at a minimum, believe we should be passing a universal background check legislation that assures that guns don't fall into the wrong hands. Ninety percent of the American people are with us. The kids from Parkland are with us. We hope, for the sake of millions of the kids who attend school every day, that our Republican colleagues will buck the NRA and do the right thing. You can't solve this problem and please the NRA. And our Republican colleagues have to learn that. The American people already have. And the kids at Parkland already have. First of all, Chuck Schumer, leave me out of this. Start with that. Buck the NRA. Gosh. Also, notice how many times he invokes the kids there. I have two rules, uh, my friends, when it comes to politicians. Always, always, always be just a little bit skeptical. A little dubious. Be on your guard whenever they say it's for the children or it's for your safety. Nobody knows about your safety better than you do. And politicians all love to pretend how much they care about the kids when they want to make sure that anyone who opposes their idea isn't for the kids. Oh, you're not for the children. Then you've got Chuck Schumer doing his thing. Uh, the bill, by the way, I mentioned it briefly during the uh, opening here, but there's a supermajority of House Democrats who have already signed on to a, the assault weapons ban of 2018. Obviously, it's not going to pass because Republicans have a majority in the House. But as I was saying, it's not about passing legislation. See, this is the great trick of the Democrat Party right now. It's not about getting their way. It's just about preventing Donald Trump and the Repub- Republicans from getting their way. It's just about not letting them rack up wins, not letting them implement policies that will have benefits for the American people. Democrats don't want even what they say they want so very badly. And what they do really want, things like mass amnesty, they pretend are not really at the top of the agenda. They are dishonest. They are dishonest about what their political intentions are. There is what's for public consumption, and then there's what the party is trying to get. And they're not they're not going to ban assault assault weapons, uh, assault rifles, assault rifles. Pardon me. Um, And they know it. And they know it. But this is mobilization. This is feeding the base. This is getting the resistance and the uh, left wing Daily Kos, HuffPost, Slate readers of the country all fired up going to the ministers. Oh. They didn't pass the assault weapons bill, so they don't care about the children. That's the storyline. It's about establishing a narrative, which just goes also into my whole theory here, which is none of this is really about fixing the problem. It's about the left talking about it. He's holding the line. 
for America. Buck Sexton is back. I begged this officer I did. to please do something. I did. I begged him, and he basically told me that it was not an immediate threat. He couldn't do anything, is what he told me. I remember him leaving and just thinking, my God, he's going to kill someone and I can do nothing about it. That was Nicholas Cruz's neighbor, Nicholas Cruz, the shooter at uh, the Stoneman Douglas High School. And the neighbor saying that she was literally begging the police officer to do something about this kid whom she knew was going to kill someone. And as we now know, actually 17 people. Law enforcement was unable to protect those kids in advance of that day. And then some law enforcement officers uh, shirked their duty on the day in question, that terrible day of the actual shooting. And now we have people who are saying, well, if only we had made some changes to the law, we would have stopped this from happening. I find that very, very unlikely. Even the House Democrat bill that bans AR-15s wouldn't get rid of the ones already in private hands, which means you have millions, literally millions of ARs that are already owned and that individuals get to keep. And also the magazines that attach to them, uh, the feeding mechanisms for ammunition. There are millions more, many millions more of those already in circulation, and they would not be uh, touched under the Democrat assault rifle ban. So this is cosmetic. This is for show. They're not trying to actually stop a mass shooting from happening. They're not saying that they even have ideas lined up that would have stopped this last shooting. You can raise the age. We would have gotten a different weapon. You raise the age for any semi-automatic weapon. Well, now you're preventing people from exercising their Second Amendment rights. And I would just note, where does that stop? We're going to raise the uh, voting age to 30? We could raise a lot of ages. There are, some, there are some parts of the Constitution that talk about how you have to be to be a senator, to be president. There are some things where they tell us what the age is, but most things they kind of leave to us. We're going to play the let's just start raising the, the age. This is all just prohibition by piecemeal. Uh, this is just meant to be incrementalism as a means of achieving a different society when it comes to guns, which is what the left wants. Let's be very honest about that. That is, in fact, what they want. And Paul Ryan sometimes gets it right. We shouldn't be banning guns for law-abiding citizens. We should be focusing on making sure that citizens who should not get guns in the first place don't get those guns. And that is why we see a big breakdown in the system here. In this particular case, there were a lot of breakdowns. From local law enforcement to the FBI getting tips that they didn't follow up on to, you know, school resource officers who are trained to protect kids in these schools and, and who didn't do that. And that, to me, is probably the most stunning one of them all. So there's a lot that we have to look at. But what we, we want to do is protect people's rights. This is where also you have if you have a serious discussion about the mental health components of all this. I, look, I, I feel for that neighbor who is saying this kid, Nicholas Cruz, is a ticking time bomb. I get it. She was right. She did everything she could. She did everything she could. 
to try and get law enforcement to take action. But then we start to get into, okay, let's look at this from another perspective here. What do we want that law enforcement officer to do when he shows up? He's going to arrest the kid? For what? What's the charge? Do we want a situation where somebody who is just weird and threatening can be arrested? Put him Now, people might say, oh, Buck, but there was the online threat. All right, but for those police officers that showed up, what, what was the charge? I, I haven't yet been told what the charge was going to be under which Nicholas Cruz would be held. If you go back and look at the, uh, what was it, Adam Lanza at uh, Sandy Hook, I believe was his name. Uh, you look at the Sandy Hook shooting. That kid was also completely uh, disturbed. We, we have to be, you know, we use these different, there's really not great terminology to describe these things when you're trying to get into the psychology of somebody that has made such evil choices, but he was clearly disturbed. Are they going to lock him away forever? Going to lock him away till he's, you know, lock him away for 10, 15, 20 years? Is he going to be better when you let him? Loose into society? I mean, look, these are hard questions. I don't have answers for these questions, but this would take us in the direction of doing something about these mass killers, trying to understand, well, what do we do when we know that we've got a possible school shooter on our hands? People say, oh, prevent him from getting guns. This has been pointed out. There are many ways to kill a whole lot of people. And a semi-automatic rifle is just one of them. What would be a preferable circumstance for those law enforcement officers when they show up that they can just say, you know what, this guy strikes me as a weirdo. I'm going to take him and we're going to hold him. Hold him for how long? Imagine for a moment those Florida officers. And look, I understand this is a slightly contrarian point of view right now. Everyone's, oh, we must do more. There must be more to do. Okay. I agree with the I agree with that feeling. But what are we going to do? The law enforcement intervenes. Law enforcement arrests Nicholas Cruz in advance of this event. How long do they hold him for? They're going to keep him in a county lockup for a while? They're going to press charges? How long is he going to go to prison for? For what, by the way? But let's just assume they could get him on something. He's going to come out. And you have the same person who's now spent some time in prison. This this is where it gets very complicated. We, we want to believe we have this very understandable need for an answer here for answers for some emotional closure for the nation i understand that right some emotional uh, relief from what has been such a a difficult incident a difficult time but i'm being honest with you and i'm just telling you that i don't see what the answer is supposed to be and what what is being offered as the answers, as I've been telling you, a lot of it is in bad faith. A lot of it has nothing to do with stopping shootings, with stopping the next round of violence. It is about partisan politics. It's tribalism. It's my side versus the other side. It's raising dollars for different congressional races across the country. It's media ratings for the anti-Trump networks. That's what is really driving this conversation. Otherwise, why do we have to listen to a bunch of kids? And why is that a controversial thing? How can that be? A controversial thing to say. And yet it is for some people. I'm not the only one who has noticed this. 
We need to have some skepticism. The idea that 17-year-olds who had just been recently traumatized are the source of political wisdom, I think, uh, is be beyond belief. Is it unreasonable to say, if you want to do something, that it's incumbent on you to prove that the something you want to do will actually achieve the results that you claim? And the evidence for that is very thin. Bill McGurn of The Wall Street Journal, he's totally right. This is about action for the sake of action, because there are emotions tied to this. And I look, I think the Democrats and we're going to talk about immigration here coming up in a minute. I think Democrats are uh, realizing that they can't they can't let the they can't let the amnesty situation uh, situation become too clear. Uh, otherwise, they won't actually get it right. They they're not really sure what they want. Yeah, they want DACA. Sure. But they want DACA. They want DAPA. They want extensions of both of those programs they want expansions of them the electorate figures out what that means they they may decide wait a second that's just basically amnesty oh yeah that's right which is not popular no matter how many democrat left media networks and pollsters and everyone else says oh no i'm in blah, blah, blah. it's the only way they get around this is they just lie about what it is they're talking about ask americans that you know do you think that amnesty is a good idea and a majority of them will say no a strong majority of them will say no, but that's what the Democrats have to work with right now. So they've moved to guns. Look, I'll never forget. I think it was the first episode of that show, The West Wing, which was the alternative, which was the, in a sense, the original alternative universe presidency on TV. Right. You had in the early years, of the Bush administration, people watched The West Wing and it was like, oh, that's like the real that's like the real presidency that we, we should have. Um but I'm pretty sure the first episode had to do with gun control. I think I think there was something about gun control early on. I mean, this has been a handgun ban. You know, you see different. Uh, I was watching, gosh, not long ago with with uh, it was a few years ago, wasn't it? Gosh, I can't remember now. I, was, I remember watching one of those shows, Scandal, and the whole thing was about all oh, the need for some kind of a handgun ban. You know, this is liberals have been force fed that a weapons ban is going to stop violence and bloodshed and make us all safer. And all the evidence points in the other direction. The evidence that they cite is either uh, they're either lying about it or mistaken about it. And they just don't care. They have been programmed. They have been programmed to think gun equals bad. Look, this is even I'll tell you when, when I was at the uh, when I was at the NYPD, actually, we did a a particular weapons familiarization, and they had some of the analysts who were really academics um, who were assigned to the counterterrorism unit. And we, we did this whole day of uh, shooting familiarization, and it was amazing to me to see people who, who were working in law enforcement who had never handled a gun. You know, they're making decisions about cases and you know, charges and all this stuff, but never handled a gun. Not really. Some not at all. Didn't know anything about it. You all would have been very proud of me. I was the kid in the class who was like the who was the know-it-all. They're like, you know, what is this? I was like, that's an MP5 submachine gun. They're like, what is this? That's an M4. You know, I was great. Uh, but some of my colleagues who had expertise in various uh, extremist organizations in the Middle East or what have you, they were like, oh, I don't want to touch a gun. It's loud. It goes bang. Guns are bad and for bad people. Oof. And with journalists, you see this all the time. One of the best one of the best uh, versions of this was I remember some years ago, Piers Morgan, the British guy who was lecturing Americans on American politics, how the 
I have to say, that wasn't uh, Jeff Zucker's fault. That was the guy before him. I think his name was Klein, who was running CNN. How anybody thought that was a good idea? It's amazing, some of these uh, media execs, what they what they think is going to work. Uh, but Piers Morgan was the big anti-gun guy who didn't know anything about guns, had never fired a gun, never held a gun, but wants to tell people, oh, but you, you know. But you can't have a magazine that has more than 10 rounds. It's not acceptable. You know, the whole thing. You're like, come on, dude. You have no idea what you're talking about. And this just continues on. Look, on Friday, the White House is saying they're going to have proposals out there. I think they're going to have to back off some of the stuff that they've been talking about. They've been floating out there because they got some real problems on their hands. If they cave, why cave on this? You've got a majority in the House, a majority in the Senate. You're going to turn on the, you're going to turn on the NRA now and give in to this narrative, the NRA are the bad guys? Really? Oh, by the way, uh, a guy with an AR-15 stops uh, stopped an attack recently. Here's what he had to say about it. So- man armed with an AR-15 rifle stopped an attack by one of his neighbors and held him until police got there. Poked my head out the door. There was a pool of blood. Blood was everywhere in the hall. So I, I ran back in the home, into my house, and uh, grabbed my AR-15. Uh, grabbed the AR-15 over my handgun, just... Uh, Bigger gun, I think a little bit more of the intimidation factor uh, definitely played a part in him actually stopping. Good guy with a gun. Stops a dangerous, violent situation. Happens all the time. Happens countless times across the country, day in and day out. Media won't tell you about that, though, will they? 844-900-2825. I might take a call or two. We come back here. Got to talk to you about the uh, security clearance situation. Jared Kushner, security clearance downgraded. Everyone's everyone's all in a in a tizzy over this one i'll explain it it's not as big a deal as they're making it sound like but there's some stuff here stay with me we'll get to it Uh, the president still supports raising the age limit to 21 for the purchase of certain firearms. We're meeting with bipartisan members of Congress tomorrow. Uh, we expect that to be a topic of discussion. He knows that everybody doesn't necessarily agree. We're not going to get into the details on the specifics of what we will propose, but we expect that to be part of the conversation tomorrow. So millions of 18, 19, 20-year-olds won't be able to buy, let's say, a semi-automatic rifle that has certain features and characteristics in the hopes that the next school shooter is in 22. Or just understanding that if the next school shooter is 22, and as has been pointed out, many mass shooters are over 30, um, this will do nothing. Got to say, not really clear on why the administration thinks it's a good idea. Keep in mind that with all these policies, there's also what happens when you try to appease the gun control side of this argument. All it does is encourage more. This is, an, this is a give them an inch, they want a mile situation, my friends. You all know that. Yet here we are. Gray in Winston-Salem. Hey, Gray. How you doing, bud? I'm good. Thanks for the call. The reason I called in is what happened in Parkland is terrible. But I haven't heard one word about... The Hollywood producers and the movie actors who make all the money from guns and violence in their movies that our young people watch and try and portray where they might think it's something that's cool or, you know, something that when we were growing up, 
wasn't the norm. You didn't have the violence glorified, and you didn't have the guns that you see on TV every single night. And I haven't heard one word about that, about an industry that profits off of that. Yeah, I mean, people would much rather focus on the NRA than on the broader culture and many of the signals it sends, particularly young men, about firearms and violence. But I I would say, Gray, I, I, I agree with you. I just don't know. What? Uh, yeah. Okay. We we talk about it. There's a conversation to be had, a national conversation about addressing how the culture has coarsened, specifically with regard to violence and our toleration, or tolerance rather for violence. Um, but that's a slow, right? That's a that's a multi-decade, multi-generational process to try and work through. And keep in mind, the country actually, and I, I just got to say this, Gray, and and I agree with you. I know where you're coming from. The country was actually a lot more violent in the '70s than it is now. There are a lot more people getting shot and stabbed than there are now. So when you look at, okay, well, we got more violent media, true, but we also have a lot less now. There's This is where you add in law enforcement is much more adept and oversight is much better. Communication has improved. Technology has improved. All that is true. But, you know, it's it's a massive societal issue you're talking about. It's not something that we can just fix with a vote. But, my friend, I appreciate you calling in from uh, from. Winston Salem, and uh, we got time for one more call. We got a minute. Nielsen in Jackson, Mississippi, wanted to get you in. We got about sixty seconds though. Uh, hey, I just want to make one quick point. All right. Uh, for one thing, the, the you know Trump came out and said that even if he had a, didn't have a gun, he'd run in. Yeah. Uh, so would I. So would I. All right. And so should any human being. If they're sitting there listening to people being murdered, uh, the 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 coach didn't have a gun. You know what I mean? Yeah. I also uh, think it's it's the, bizarre that the media beats up on Trump for this. Like Trump is trying to unify the country behind a message of protecting kids and being heroic. And they they're all like, oh, yeah, you know, they're, they're beating up on Trump for it. It's crazy. Well, like a, a day or two before he even said that, I was talking to my wife about it, uh, you know, when I thought it was just one guy, not four. And I was like, I don't care if I didn't have a gun. If I'm sitting outside of a building and I'm listening to some children getting shot, I don't care if I have a gun or not. And I'm not some tough guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's why I disagree with some of those who are saying, well, if you've never faced down machine gun fire or something out on the field of battle, it's like, no, no, no. This is a basic human impulse thing. This is a defending kids thing. And I, I'm with you, Nielsen. I feel the same way. Any one of us that could have, would have. And that's why what happened was such an outrage. We'll be back. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Buck Saxon Show, everybody. Great to have you here. We have some news breaking right before we came on air about senior White House aide or advisor. I'm not sure what his what his title is, but it doesn't really matter, right? We all understand that because he is the president's son-in-law. Uh, he is also husband to the president's top advisor, who is the president's daughter, Ivanka Trump. And now there's been this story going on for some time about Jared Kushner and his security clearance. And in the aftermath of all that. Oh, by the way, Hope Hicks also. We'll talk about that. Hope Hicks today was speaking to the uh, what the special counsel and 
And then there's some stuff about the NSA director, the NSA director, and whether there should be a disruption of Russian cyber attacks. So we got a bunch of different pieces of this puzzle to work with together here, and I shall do that with you. First off, on the on the Kushner security clearance, this became such an issue because you had that uh, guy Porter. I'm forgetting his name now because I, I didn't really know much about him in the first place. He was like the senior White House aide who was the accused wife beater, and he somehow had a clearance despite the fact that he had had two uh, two ex wives accuse him of physical abuse credibly and on the record. I'm old enough to remember when a security clearance was a thing that if you had, you know, sold a little weed in high school or maybe had uh, downloaded a little too much illegal music might be in jeopardy. These days, it feels like security clearance is a little bit of a different process. Um, I, I didn't do those things. I'm just saying those are the kinds of stories that I would hear about from people. Now, is that really why they got their clearance denied? Who knows? That's a big part of this, and I want to tell you all this. You'll learn you'll learn some things now on this show that you won't hear on any other show. I think I'm, I don't know, I'm the only syndicated host who ever had a top secret security clearance. Um, I don't think that anyone. I'm trying to. I can't imagine. No one comes to mind. At least there might be one or two here or there. But I actually went through this whole process. Oh yeah, the polygraph and the security clearance process and all that. I was gonna say good stuff, but it's not good stuff. Just stuff. And here's what I'll tell you, and now you'll know more than other people watching or listening to other shows. Uh, guessing about why someone's security clearance has been held up is like guessing why somebody's dating relationship ended. Unless you know, you got no idea. You, you just, you don't know. Um, and that was clear to me earlier in the day. You had all these people going on TV saying, well, it could be, it could be this, it could be that. And any number of different um theories that have been put forward about why Kushner has had a security clearance held up for a while. The more foreign travel you do, the more you've been around the world, the more business interests you have that are international. Of course, it's going to slow these things down. Why does this matter, though? A lot of I'm worried right now. Like, Buck, I know other people are talking about this, but who cares? Fair point. Let me get into the why we should care or at least why others care, because that sometimes is just as that sometimes is just as important. It's not that this matters to you. It's that it matters to other people that are trying to do things that are bad, <laughs> that you don't want. You don't want these people to get their way, also known as the left and Democrats. So here's what's happening. Uh, if he's been downgraded from a TS, as has been now reported in a whole bunch of different outlets to secret, secret clearance is the kid's table. I'm just saying it. I'm not, you know, don't get mad at me, but secret clearance is kind of like, meh. I saw countless read through worked with countless secret documents in my day and secret is kind of like meh i think i already knew that meh now the sources and methods component of it is what really matters and that's why they're generally but in terms of the actual information stuff that's secret you know you're like meh not that exciting usually you, you need higher level stuff for you to go whoa okay that's interesting right secrets kind of meh and and the, and the lower the levels beyond below that, you know, confidential or whatever. Remember Hillary with I don't know what the C means in these emails. Yeah, right. Uh, confidential is like yeah, you know, don't broadcast it on the news. I mean, technically, it's actually a classification, so you can get in trouble, like prison trouble for 
uh, sharing confidential level information if it's government information. But I'm just telling you, in terms of the wow factor, which this is not an official scale. This is just Buck telling you as somebody whose job was to basically read through classified information for eight hours a day for, I don't know, five or six years. Um, Secret and below is kind of, you know, not a lot of wow factor there. In terms of the information itself, the sources, that's very, you know, it's important and we got to protect the sources and the methods. Above that stuff, you tend to get the you you can have information. We're like, oh, well then, <laughs> look at that. Above that has a little more interest, a little more sizzle. But people are writing about this, like, oh, you know, Kushner had access to the to the PDB, the Presidential Daily Brief. You know, I'm gonna say, not not all PDBs are are equally as as interesting or as insightful. I could just tell you that it, this stuff is often is often overblown. I mean, the most important stuff is to protect the sources of the information, you know, how we get it or, or who we get any information from because of the obvious, well, especially with, with individuals, you're talking about risks to them. Um, but it, the analysis that comes out a lot of the stuff, you'd be like, yeah, I kind of, you know, a lot of people kind of thought that anyway. So I'm just saying that it's a little overblown, right? But secret is the kitty is the kitty table in the world of intelligence. It's just not not important enough information. Now, look, some people need it for their jobs. And if you're in the field and you're, you know, you're U.S. military, you're dealing with secret level information. That's very, very important. I'm talking about at the policymaker level. Secret tends to be, you know, me. Like I said, the wow factor is usually pretty low on the information and the analysis, particularly the analysis from it. Right? Leaving aside sources and methods and all that, that's all very important to protect. And that's why it's classified. So, so Kushner's been downgraded. All right, wh- why does this matter? Well, it's it's clearly an effort to do two things. Running with this story, uh, one is to just to continue to talk about what was the, the guy's name was Porter. What was his name again? Something Porter. You know what I mean? The guy who was the they just went through the whole Rob was it Rob Porter? I think it was Rob Porter. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'm getting the name wrong. So you know he's the one that you know you get one wife who comes forward and says he abused her. Not good. You get two wives that come forward and say you abused her. Really not good. Now, keep in mind, uh, you know, innocent until proven guilty, but you're also not necessarily entitled to a senior White House job. And if there's any question about it, you know, then that becomes an issue of, well, is this about the individual? Is this about the functioning of the White House, which serves 320 million Americans? So it was the right thing for him to move on. Now, Kelly was annoyed about this. Chief of Staff Kelly, as you all know, this is reported ad nauseum in the media. Um, and by the way, did I play the, the, them, them announcing this, the CNN thing announcing it here? Well, just, in, yeah, here we go. Play presidential son-in-law and senior advisor Jared Kushner has had his security clearance significantly downgraded, sources tell CNN. The downgrade will prevent Kushner from viewing the nation's most sensitive secrets, and it comes after new rules were implemented by Chief of Staff John Kelly in the wake of the botched handling of the Rob Porter spousal abuse scandal. So they're talking about this because it's a great way for them to keep bringing up the Rob Porter spousal abuse scandal, which for obvious reasons, the media, they just like to refer to that story as often as they can. Just, you know, Rob Porter abuse, White House abuse, abuser, misogyny, abuse, abuser, Trump, sexual harasser, abuser, abuser. It's a it's a you could say an information warfare campaign against the White House. Right. This is what they're doing. Um, It's slow. It's steady. And it is concerted. There is a cooperation among various media entities to use all of their powers to go after this White House. Also, though, 
they have picked off one by one so many senior White House personnel at this point and harangued them and really run them out of town in many cases. What I think is so interesting here is that with Kushner, putting aside, and I will just I will uh, I will defer on for for now on the wisdom of having family members as senior White House advisors when you're the president. Uh, but Kushner, by all accounts, and I, I met him, I've met him a couple times, spoken to him a bit, nice enough guy, all that, uh, is leaning left at least. But So you'd think that if this were really about what's going to happen with the White House and the policies and the way forward for the Trump administration, wouldn't the media be a little bit a little bit gentler, a little bit more accommodating, a little more, I don't know, acting like the person's a Democrat uh, in the cases of Kushner and Ivanka, right? Because don't they want Democrat allies in the White House? No. The answer is no. They don't care about any of that. If you're associated with Trump, you got to go down. If you're associated with Trump, they've got to take you out of the White House rotation and send you back packing into private life. You got to make an example of anyone who works with Trump, family included. I, I played through that question yesterday. It's so amazing. So many journalists. Oh, well, well, Chelsea Clinton was never asked that question because Chelsea wasn't a senior advisor. Really? Chelsea was on her name was part of the Clinton Foundation. And she was, in fact, working for Hillary's as part of Hillary's campaign in 2016. And no one ever asked, you know, hey, is your dad, is your dad, Bill Clinton, who is credibly accused by multiple women of sexual assault and in, in one of forcible rape. What do you think about that, Chelsea? Nobody asked her that. I asked Ivanka that just over the weekend. Uh, Their hatred, their Trump derangement syndrome overcomes any other impulses that they may have. And in fact, even for some of the true believer uh, Democrats out there in the media, instead of seeing Ivanka and Jared as tempering influences on what was Build. If, if you remember, we've gone so far from this now. Trump was supposed to be the most right wing. Oh, my gosh. It, Breitbart has taken over the White House like it was going to be pandemonium. And meanwhile, it's like, yeah, tax cuts. Things are moving along. Economy's looking great. The Fed's looking to do some rate hikes, maybe. You know, Trump's talking about pushing through some gun legislation that would appease centrists and you know, it's not not exactly the dystopian nightmare that we were promised. And it's certainly not the hard right. Look, I think Trump's conservative agenda is actually coming along quite well. But it's not some hard right Looney Tunes administration, which is what they were saying. But they've pushed out, you know, they've put they got banned. And, and when I say they've pushed out, I know that it's been the decisions of various figures to either resign or 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 they're asked to resign within the White House. But all the palace intrigue stories were for a purpose. And the purpose, whether it was about Reince Priebus or Bannon or any of them, the purpose wasn't to inform the public so we know more about the inner workings of the People's House, of the White House. It was all to create discord, magnify it, use people's egos and sensitivities against each other at the top reaches of the administration, create internecine warfare, and just chaos. That was the purpose of it, and, that, and they managed to do that. I think that because of the Fire and Fury book, people have realized, oh, you mean sometimes they lie about this stuff to do that? Oh, yeah. 
I actually think in some ways Michael Wolff did, did a great service for the Trump administration because he's the, he is the shark jumper. They should call him that. He is the one who jumped the shark on this stuff. He's the one who's like, you know, if it, if it rings true, it is true. No, no, unacceptable. And with him, because he was so high profile at first, because the media was so frothy moused and in such a frenzy to run with his stories because they were, look, I mean, I read it. I, I, I guilty as charged. I downloaded that book on Kindle. I ripped through it. I mean, you know, whoa, it's crazy stuff. Yeah, because it's full of lies. But they've managed to play that game inside this White House. And look, there was I understand there's a lack of messaging discipline and there were leaks and there was there. I'm not saying there weren't egos that were clashing in there, but there are egos that clash in every administration. But it's. It's it's in many ways a function of what the press decides to report on what they don't. It's the editorial decisions made about what feuds to throw gasoline on within the White House, what feuds to escalate and. The press's approach to this in the Trump administration is just as long as there's discord, as long as people are mad at each other and and, and we can keep that going and report on that. That's great. If it's bad for the country, who cares? You know, screw the country. Let's just give as much coverage as we possibly can to a White House in disarray, a White House full of enemies. Right. With Obama, it was all oh, a White House of, uh, you know, a, a team of rivals and that whole book. And they got all this stuff. They created this whole narrative. Team of rivals, huh? Yeah, with the brilliant minds like Axelrod and Valerie Jarrett. It's great to know that she was just always a whisper away from the guy with the nuclear codes. I mean, let's be honest. You didn't hear those stories, did you? And that's why they're going after Kushner, because he's Trump. It doesn't matter that he's reasonable, centrist-leaning. Some people even say a Democrat. I don't know, but some people even say a Democrat. doesn't matter. Anyone, anyone is a, a possible reputational casualty of the media's war on Trump, and that's what you're seeing play out right now. And the whole security clearance thing is just an excuse to do everything they can to undermine, well, undermine this White House, create further uh, issues, and, and also insinuate, and I'm going to get to that. I, I've seen the report from the Washington Post, and I've gotten so wrapped up in telling you, in, in telling you truth bombs that aren't this, that aren't relating to this, that people are saying, oh, there's... Overseas folks that are seeking leverage on Kushner, that's the problem. Oh, that's what the Washington Post is reporting. We'll get to that. I mean, the Hope Hicks thing, I like I like Hope Hicks. I'm just going to leave it at that. All right, I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, Miss Molly is going to send me to the couch if I say anything. I just I think Hope Hicks does a great job. I'm uh, I'm pro Hicks, you could say. I'm on, I'm on team Hicks. All right, I'm going to stop. Well, we've got a smear via leak here in the Washington Post. You see this happening a lot in the Trump era, don't you? Let me just give you the gist of this, and then I'll tell you what's going on. Officials in at least four countries have privately discussed ways they can manipulate Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and senior advisor, by taking advantage of his complex business arrangements financial difficulties, and lack of foreign policy experience, according to current and former U.S. officials familiar with intelligence reports on the matter. Among those nations discussing ways to influence Kushner to their advantage were the United Arab Emirates, China, Israel, and Mexico, the current and former officials said. Notice the sourcing here. 
familiar with intelligence reports. That would indicate this is a classified leak, folks. People are so dedicated, former, senior government officials. I could start thinking of some names. Who wants to throw out some names? I can't hear you, but I know. I, I, I hear what you're saying across the country right now. I, we're thinking some of the same names. Friendly with the Washington Post. Come out to the coast, have a few laughs. Yeah. They, there are some folks here that are really going for it. They're willing to uh, betray their oath and violate the law to answer the question that I left you with before, which is, well, no one really knows why his clearance has been held up, right? And as I said to you, there are a ton of different reasons that a clearance could be held up that, that are not in any way nefarious. It's not about bad behavior or anything else. It's not about being untrustworthy. It could just be a complicated case. The adjudication of this can... Oh, this, you mean the same day that we get the reporting that his clearance has been downgraded? You have officials leaking the Washington Post that it's because of conversations that foreign leaders, or I'm sorry, foreign officials, foreign officials, pardon me, foreign officials have said about ways to manipulate him. See what they've done there, folks? With this, with this leak. By the way, is the leak true or not? Who knows? I don't know. Could be totally made up. Right. I mean, it's so easy for a former intelligence official. To say, oh, yeah, I saw stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. All you have to do is look at what's on the front page of like the Daily Coast, which is a loony left site, if you haven't seen it. And and then you can just be, oh, I used to work for the you know FBI. Insert the three letter agency. I used to work for them. I'm buddies of the Washington Post. I'll tell them. Yeah, sure. I saw stuff on that. Who's going to check? Who's going to know? And the effect is the same which is to make it seem like President Trump has an untrustworthy advisor with him in the White House, full stop. That's what this is all about now. But notice where the information comes from. Deep state, my friends. Deep state. That's what this is. Background information, I would note, is closely held. People do not generally have access to it unless they need to. And that anyone who had access to it will be leaking it to the Washington Post or information involved in the background investigation process like that, it is a scandal. It is a scandal. And it's also against the law. But that never stops. That never stops the deep state, does it? Because it's all about the resistance, my friends. doesn't matter how much they have to trample on the law, the Constitution, and the American people in the process. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Actually, a lot of immigration news today. Not getting much attention. I'm going to hopefully get us to that in the third hour today, if not soon. Maybe even sooner than that. But I wanted to take some calls here. We've got uh, John calling in from Savannah, Georgia. Hey, John. Hi, Buck. Um, Calling about gun control, and I've got a lot of ideas and a lot of questions, and I don't know where to start. Um, are you familiar with John Douglas? No. Oh, the, the FBI, FBI profiler, profiler, I'm being told. Yes. The Mind Hunter and he Oh, I saw that. Yeah, on Netflix. Days. Actually a really good show. I enjoyed it. Uh, the book his books are amazing. So he's basically the guy who came up with the FBI um criminal behavioral um unit where they're able to look at the case files on a crime and go, okay, so you're looking for a white male between 28 and 35, probably lives with his mother, drives a sedan, that kind of stuff, right? They're really good at that. In fact, um, 
Jack Crawford in Silence of the Lambs is based on John Douglas. So couldn't they come up with a 200-point questionnaire that could, when someone's buying a gun, that could basically determine psychopathy and sociopathic behavior Um, based on they're so good at that? Now, I know there are constitutional implications, and it would have to pass muster with the NRA, um, but couldn't that be done without, you know, anything being overly uh, gun-grabby? Uh, well, John, I mean, it, it kind of feels a little bit like a literacy test before you vote, right? I mean, you're going to be taking a are you crazy test before you can buy a gun. It, it's one thing if they already know you're crazy and they've got, you know, documentation and you've been in front of a court and been adjudicated. Those laws are already in the books. But sure. Everybody has sure. to take an are you crazy test. I don't know. It's just I'm, I'm being. I, I've had to, you know, I'm, for, for I'm, law enforcement I'm, I'm and intelligence guy. jobs, John, you know, they make you take some of those kinds of tests. And I remember. Oh, those tests like uh, you know, NYPD, they're very sneaky. It's like, what is your favorite color? What do you like to do on the weekends? Do you get excited at the sight of blood? I'm like, hold on a second. I yeah. think you're trying to pull a fast one there. I took a test like that one time for a job, and it was like 100, 150 oh, yeah. questions. Yeah, personality profile like, stuff. I traveled to Europe twice last year. Weird stuff like that. And what it revealed, they didn't hire me because they said, you know, you have uh, anger issues. And oddly enough, at the time, I really did. So it, mm. it nailed whatever, and I don't know how, but that's when I got the idea, like, look, we want to try to weed out, like, mass killers. But then, of course, they'll only get their guns illegally. Anyway. And anger issues. So I'm going to is... try not to upset you on this phone call, John. I'm, I'm going to try oh, to fuck. keep it civil. Um, you you but... diffuse my anger with your dulcet tone. There we go. All right, I'll take it. Oh, by the way, dude, I, I wanted one of the reasons I was excited to take this call I am going to be down in your neck of the woods. I'm going to be in Savannah, Georgia. I was going to announce it probably tomorrow, but since we got a Savannah caller, I'm going to be down there hanging out with our friends from Black Rifle Coffee and Nine Line Apparel. And there's a big event, and I think it's like people can just go on Facebook and find out more about it. Uh, But if you're in the Savannah... Caffeinated as F. What's up? Caffeinated as F. That is one of their slogans, yes. Uh, but oh, you should yeah. come. Uh, you bring. I, I order their coffee. Yeah, no, their coffee's well, amazing. Uh, and we're turning this now into like a free infomercial for them. I just happen to be in Savannah. Oh, boo. Okay, mm. fair enough. Well, I'm, spread the I'm word to your Savannah down, friends. Man. And, John, thank you very much for calling in. I appreciate it. See, I always like to tell the folks, I'm, I'm actually coming out to see some of you. I am in uh, Savannah at the end of next week. So I'll be there next Friday at the Black Rifle Coffee event. So I'll be doing the show from down there. Don't worry. I'm not skipping radio, obviously. I mean, come on. Well, let's be serious. Uh, but no, I'll be down there in Savannah. I also just love any opportunity to get down there. Anytime I can sneak off to uh, Savannah, Charleston, um, uh, Austin, Texas is on the on the list coming up real soon here. I'm going to have to go, go visit all my folks in Austin. Uh, my brother's been there for like the last month. Uh, he loves it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting down to Austin. So, yeah, and then I'll head out to the West Coast, come out to the coast, have a few laughs. You know, that'll happen. Uh, That'll happen sometime soon as well. I'll let you guys all know. I I might just do something where we can do like a Team Buck hang where we could all, you know, meet at a barbecue joint somewhere. Everyone who listens to the show, any Team Buck, you just all go chillax, you know, tell tell stories. I was going to say tell war stories, but I was an analyst. So I'd be like, I wrote this memo and my wrist started hurting. Um, But anyway, so, uh, yes. I will be in Savannah, and uh, I'll, I'll give you more information. We'll have the folks from uh, Black Rifle come on the air, I think, later this week to tell you about this. They've got a whole a whole thing. It'd be like a big, I'm being serious. It's actually like a big party. I think they said there's going to be bouncy castles. 
And I didn't want to ask them, but I was like, well, is that for, is that for the kids? Or is it like, you know, I mean, can I get up in there? Can I can I bouncy castle? Or is that weird, you know? It's probably a 200-pound weight limit, so I should probably not get on the bouncy castle. But And if they might have, like, small, you know, farm animals that also can be ridden, like, the you know, the donkeys and ponies and things they have. Anyway, I don't know if they're going to have that, but they did say bouncy castle specifically. And a lot of the guys there have firearms, so I have a feeling we're going to end up sneaking off and doing a little... Uh, Little range, little range time. Anyway, look out for that, and I'll be in Savannah next week. And please do spread the word if you're in, if you're Team Buck in Georgia and can get uh, get to this event. It should be a lot of fun, um, and I'll give you details as it gets closer. Uh, with all that, I have now got to get back to Russia. A very interesting discussion today about what's been done uh, to deal with Russian trolling, cyber hacking, all this stuff that gets the media so upset because you know hillary was supposed to win and she didn't and and we're all told it's because of russia uh but the nsa director current nsa director was asked a question today that was a perfect opening for the democrats to freak out oh my gosh i'm very upset about this let me play the clip for you and then so you would need basically to be directed by the president through the secretary of defense yes sir as i in fact i mentioned that in my have you been directed to do so, given the strategic threat that faces the United States and the significant consequences you recognize already? No, I have not. So that's the NSA director. And, and the specifics of the question there might have gotten lost in the soundbite, but he was asked about attacking the source of Russian information warfare at the source. Have you been directed by the president to do that? A few things on this, because this got a lot of play. People go, oh, my God. CNN, big headlines on this one. Um Oh, by the way, to my whole thesis before about just creating discord, the main the main uh, headline they were running with on the Jared Kushner stuff was Kelly won this round or Kelly won this one, meaning that uh, chief of staff Kelly beat Kushner. And that's the big takeaway from this. Um, I, n- nothing about General Kelly in any way, shape or form strikes me as him being a, a petty guy who wants to fight nonsense turf battles. But that is clearly uh, the way that the media wants to try to see this one, you know, pit Kushner and Kelly against each other after they pit Bannon, Kushner and Ivanka against each other after they pit Reince and Bannon and uh, hey, the mooch, not a mooch. The mooch pit himself against himself. I can't blame the media for that one. That was a hey, mooch. We should probably get the, the mooch has been making the rounds in media. I, I met the mooch once. He was a he was a he was a charming fellow. We could have him on the radio sometime, maybe. I like saying his name, though. It's fun. His name is fun. Also, Robbie Mooks. Hey, Robbie. But, like, Robbie Mooks is not actually, you know, he sounds like a, he sounds like a wise guy from Brooklyn. You know, you're like, hey, you got a job? You got that thing you got to do? Get Robbie Mooks to do it. Or is it Robbie Mook? I forget. Is it Mooks or Mook? Mook? No S. No S. Hey, get Robbie Mook to talk to the guy about the thing. But then you actually see him, and he's like, you know, totally not. My my version of Robbie Mook is no bears no resemblance to the reality of this uh, Hillary Clinton campaign advisor. But I just think his name is fun to say. That's also why I like to say the Mooch because hey, the Mooch, kind of like the Fonz. I, I'd give him credit for embracing it too. Is he on dan- Is he going to be on Dancing with the Stars? I feel like I heard that. Am I crazy? Right? Wasn't the Mooch going to be on Dancing with the Stars, or did he try out? Or am I? I might be okay. F- scratch that. Uh, that may be a complete rumor. Do not do not print that. Do not. I, I thought someone told me that, though. I might be totally wrong. I might be totally wrong. Uh, so please don't. Please. Now, uh, oh, I'm right? 
I'm right. Even when I think I'm wrong, I'm right. Hey, the mooch gonna be dancing with the stars. Hey, bada bing. He's tell me about this. What happened? Uh, there were rumors. He waited on the rumors. He but it. it okay, so there thing. were rumors. Yeah, I and I didn't start the rumor. I was gonna. Look, hey, Buck, I got I got to talk to you about a thing. You know, it's on the rumors about the, uh, the dancing with the stars. You know, the stars dance with me. I don't dance with them. The mooch out. All right, wait, I was talking about the NSA. I got completely sidetracked. Talking about the NSA director in Russia. How the heck I started talking about Mooch as uh, neither here nor there. So here's the thing. They they run the story, and it's all, oh, Trump didn't direct the NSA director. First of all, the NSA director is not about to stand up in an open forum and be like, oh, yeah, like let me open the book here, and we'll talk about all the offensive cyber operations that we may or may not be engaged in against a specific country. That's not going to happen. All right, so there. That, that's that's point one. Point two. What do they really think is going to happen here? It, it, do do we really expect the federal government to play Twitter troll whack a mole? I should probably patent that was pretty good. Twitter troll, Twitter troll whack a mole. Um, that could even be the title of this pod, of, of today's show on the podcast. But no, seriously, this isn't. This is crazy. What does that even mean? What are you going to do? You're going to tell Twitter to take these accounts down. You're going to start attacking specific servers. This is not a, as much as people go, oh, it's all so high tech and everything else. I think one thing the Russians may have learned from whatever intrusion into our system they tried to pull off the last time is that, you know, keep it simple, stupid. They didn't need to do some of the stuff that, you know, setting up a U.S. based person and trying to get. You know, people at a rally here or there and thinking that there's Americans involved or whatever. They, They could just do all this stuff through straight up propaganda you know whereas people like if, if you want to elevate this information warfare information warfare I, I keep saying this information warfare would be the u.s government is creating uh camps that they're going to imprison us all in and there's going to be like a, a fascist a fascist coup that gets rid that's information warfare maga trump 2016 hashtag is not information warfare so people seem to not understand you know if the Russians did a whole campaign about how you need to adopt shelter dogs, uh, that's not information warfare. That's actually a helpful message. And so when you look at some of the things that got, and I, I know there were other, they were trying to spread discord and on racial issues and all these other things, but let's just understand that, you know, not all information warfare is the same. And something should not even be called information warfare. And supporting one political candidate in the way that millions and millions and millions of others are supporting him is called a drop in the bucket that nobody cares about. It's not information warfare. That's what they're calling it, though. What would it even be, though? What would it, what would it even mean for the NSA to try and stop this from happening? And I will note that the standard that has been set now is that there is nothing that Trump can do to quiet the critics of him being soft on Russia. And were he to do what the media, the Democrats, and the left indicate they would like him to do, they'd be like, oh, my gosh, he's a warmonger. What is Trump doing? Right? I mean, he can't win. He can't win either way. This is also why one of the impulses that Trump and this administration uh, has is to just not do what the media wants him to. It's a pretty good rule. You know, it's like, don't do what your enemy wants. Don't do what the media wants you to do. Don't give in. It's also something to keep in mind on the gun control thing, folks. Don't don't believe that if you show good faith or you try to work with them, they're going to meet you halfway. That's not how that's not how the other side plays. And on Russia, I've never people who 
for I mean, the, the same people, the same people who were laughing and saying, ah, ha, 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 when Barack Obama was like, oh, Mitt Romney, oh, Russia called, oh, Soviet Union, oh, they want their foreign policy back. Oh, the 80s called, they want their foreign policy back, right? That whole thing. Oh, it was so funny. Mitt Romney was so dumb. Ha, ha, ha. Those same people who thought that was so funny and so dumb are now like, oh, my gosh, did you see this, 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 uh, this Facebook account with this rather attractive looking Russian lady. She's not even real. And she's promoting Trump and MAGA in America. What are we going to do? I don't know, man. Maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe we don't need to be, uh, treating it like it's some strategic threat to the United States government that there are people out there who spread lies and gossip on social media, which as I've been telling you is, is not new. Anyone who has a familiarity with, uh, Soviet Union, KGB tactics, information operations. See, that's the big thing. It is an information operation. I get that. To call it information warfare, though, you know, this is we got to be careful with our careful with our terminology here. Um, it's a little bit different. Eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. You want to discuss some things? Uh, we can certainly do that. I ooh, there's some some interesting stuff on Syria that I may get to here in a moment. I know I said also immigration. One of the great things about the Freedom Hut is that it's it's always a bit of an improvisation. It's kind of a wild ride. I have so much to talk to you about in only three hours. I could really do six every day, but i got to cut it down to three. Some of you are like, Buck, that's a good thing. Um, let's hit a quick break. We'll come back. We've got a lot more. We're going to switch it up. So one of the things I'm proud of in my administration was the fact that, and I think these things are connected, uh, we didn't have a scandal that you know, uh, embarrassed us. There were mistakes, we'd screw up, but there wasn't anything venal during eight years, and that's... No scandals. No mistakes. Obama went on to, to talk a bit more about this. Get ready to hear a lot more from Obama once the uh, Democrats are trying to defeat Trump for re-election. There's going to be a lot more uh, talk from, uh, from our former president. But the notion that he had no scandals, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? You have a president, or former, pardon me, a former president who really believes his own press releases, I think, to this day. Uh, doesn't think that Fast and Furious or Benghazi or any number of these uh, that immediately come to mind. You know, he also said that you didn't hear about a lot of drama in my White House. Maybe that's because, as I said to you earlier, the press didn't report on the drama because they weren't interested in fanning the flames of said drama and making everything worse. There was they were not interested in doing that. But then you'd have to believe that ninety percent plus of the media supported the Obama administration up to including debasing their profession of journalism and becoming just all out activists. And of course, Obama doesn't believe that. Right, Felix in Pennsylvania. What's going on, my friend? It's been a while. Maybe it's going to be even longer because it doesn't sound like I think Felix is. Did he take a snack break while he was on hold? Sounds like he's eating a ham sandwich or something. Felix. Felix. My man, home slice, he's not there. 
All right. Felix has been on hold for God knows how long, and uh, now we can't even. <laughs> I think he's been on hold for like over an hour. All right. It's all right. It's all right. We, we tried. We tr- Felix, we tried, my man. I, I always, we know you're enthusiastic to, to chat about stuff, but we did what we, what we, did what we could. Um, oh, wait, one more thing. Uh, Carter Page. Carter Page is running around on TV. If this guy, I just want to say this. If this guy, Carter Page, here, we, we got a soundbite from him. All the evidence I've seen so far, Chris, indicates that the there was much more interference by the U.S. government compared to the Russian government. Wait, you think that the United States government interfered in this last election more than the Russians did? If you look at the January 6, 2017 DNI report, mm-hmm. right, there are two themes. Number one, hacking. Mm-hmm. Number two, uh, government propaganda, fake news. Well, look. Again, just look, let's look at evidence we actual, actually have. No one examined the DNC's server, right? You know, that was done outsourced to some, you know, law firm hired consultant to look at it instead of, you know, allowing the FBI to have a look. And now we understand why, I think. Carter Page doesn't exactly act like a guy with a guilty conscience who was the center of an international Kremlin conspiracy, does he? Does he? Schiff. Schumer, Democrat Media. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome to our three of the Buck Saxon Show, everybody. And we have some immigration news to discuss here and uh, much to get into. The first one comes um, courtesy of a federal judge. In fact, the judge that was a point of or who was a point of some controversy. Because Trump mentioned, I believe, his Latino heritage or something like that. U.S. District Judge Gonzalo Curiel, Judge Curiel. So uh, Trump has something of a history with this particular judge. And. Here's the ruling in a 101 page ruling, according to Fox News, the judge wrote that both Congress and the executive branch share responsibilities in protecting the country from terrorists and contraband. And he ruled against an environmental challenge to President Trump's border wall, delivering a win to the Trump administration in a decision that allows construction plans to move forward. It looks like the environmental challenge to the whole wall building project is not, in fact, not, in fact, uh, going to be an issue. Whenever I think about this, it reminds I I think I've told you this story before, but I remember being out at a at a military base for some training out west, and you know one of those big desert areas that people forget are vast where we have some military bases, and they were telling me about how I forget who it was a it was a senior it was a senior uh, officer on the base I forget what his rank was he, he gave us this. Just it was kind of a familiarization for our time there during the training of, you know, hey, you guys are by um, by staying here. There's one thing you, you may notice. And, and they, they talked about this highway that they were trying to upgrade, I think, to get to the base. And they spent I don't remember the figures it was a long time ago, but the government ended up spending something like you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. Might have even been a low millions, but I think it was definitely the hundreds of thousands of dollars 
because the environmentalists, and this was the desert, okay, and some of you are military already guessing, you know, the base. I could probably say it, but it doesn't really matter. I don't know. I, I try to be, try to keep everything super secret squirrel here. But there's a few very large military bases out in the middle of the desert out west. And, but there's a road going to it. And uh, there's only one road, right? It's one of these places where there's really only one way to get there. And they wanted to widen the road or do something. And, and the problem they had was that uh, the environmentalists were upset because tortoises, a, a specific kind of tortoise that would cross the road, would um, was where they were getting hit by cars. Like there was a problem with the traffic. So, and I'm, I'm doing this to remember. I, I think this is how it happened, but, you know, if I'm wrong, don't sue me. Uh, so then they had to put up little tortoise fencing along this road. That was the agreement. If they were going to expand the road and have greater usage, I think they were going to make maybe another lane or something. I forget what it was. But if they were going to do any work on this road and get around, it was in California, get around the California environmental lobby, they were going to have to create netting because that was what we see, little netting along the side of the road, like a little, almost like a like a miniature tennis net or, or something, to keep the tortoises from trying to cross the road. You know, why did the tortoise cross the road? To keep, I know, to keep the tortoises from crossing. So they built this little netting, these little tortoises, and then what they realize is that tortoises aren't exactly uh, all-terrain vehicles. You know, they, they really only go in one direction. And if they get stuck up in this netting, then they become easy prey, particularly for uh, birds of prey, you know, uh, buzzards, hawks, things like that. So it turned into like a like a tortoise buffet along this stretch of highway going into this military base because the netting was catching the tortoises that were trying to migrate and cross. And so the environmentalists were even more freaked out. And so then they had to create little underpasses under this roadway, which, as you can imagine, was quite a construction project for the tortoises so that they would have free access back and forth across this road. So, I, you know, I want to, I want to say it, it cost in the hundreds of thousands, might've cost the millions. I don't even remember now. I just remember sitting there like they got, you're kidding, right? But no, they had these little fences, little tortoise bridges, you know, they should have set up some tortoise lounge chairs and, you know, maybe a, a little tortoise rec center. I mean, you know, it was all, all because of the environmentalists. I got nothing against turtles, but I just there there are limits, right? You know, there's some natural selection stuff at work here with the with the netting and everything else. Um, so the environmental lobby is very very powerful, especially in states like California, and that a federal judge has said, "All right, we can uh, we're, we're not we're going to throw out this challenge. It's on environmental grounds. That means if that means the the rest of the federal government can come along now. The Trump administration." And essentially say, sorry, like we're going to we're going to rule that you, you can't just slow down this whole project with uh, environmental challenges. So it allow construction to, to move forward. So now we get to is the wall going to happen? Build that wall, build that wall, build that wall. <laughs> you know, it's going to be one of my reg- regrets in life that I never made it to a live Trump rally, you know, in that first, it really, it, it was incredible television. I'm sure it was incredible to be there. I, n- I didn't make it to one. Yeah. It would have been, would have been good stuff. I guess there's still time. There's still time. Although I'm just somebody who, I don't like lines and I don't like crowds generally. So weird that I'm in the media business. Um, but anyway, 
I, uh, yeah, build the wall, build the wall. That was the chant as you heard it. Looks like the wall may, in fact, get built now. I also had the experience recently of speaking, just as, as an aside here, about the wall and immigration and what, will it work, will it not work? Because now it's going to come down to does Congress actually keep its word? Is Congress serious or are they all a bunch of, bunch of liars, jokers, and clowns? Don't answer that. Uh, but I spoke to a friend who is Israeli. And I just, we were in conversation, and I just asked him, uh, you know, we're sitting at a dinner, and I said, you know, so were, were, you, were you living in Israel? We had moved the state some years ago. I said, were you living in Israel back in the era of what's called the Second Intifada? Intifada is Arabic for uprising. It's around 2002. And he said, oh, yeah, I lived there. He said it was like every week, every week there was another just terrible terrorist incident, right? Every week there was another bus exploding, a pizzeria getting uh, hit by a suicide bomber and it was this, the whole country was under a real feeling of siege, and rightly so. And there was a, a, a sense of, even for the Israelis who have dealt with a lot in their short history, uh, if not panic, at least a heightened anxiety. And they figured, all right, we're just, we're going to do what we have to do. And as you know, they built the wall. I've actually been to that barrier wall. I've been on both sides of it. And it just stopped. I mean, the suicide bombings, the infiltrations just went away. Now, I understand people argue that Israel is a much smaller country, it's much less wall. I, I understand all those arguments. But the theoretical here that is always advanced by the left, that a wall does not work and wall serves no purpose, has been tested recently by an advanced democracy, close ally of the United States, with not good results, with almost unbelievable results. I mean, this guy I was talking to, I'll be honest, he's, he's a left of center guy. Right? He's not so he's not like pro Trump or no, 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 no. You just happen to be Israeli living in a country that was under siege from infiltrations by Palestinian terrorists and was threatening to bring the country to its knees with the uh, with the constant violence and the particularly the suicide bombings were just terrible. I mean, going into weddings, going into pizzerias, discotheques, I mean, just the worst. They built a wall, they locked it down, stopped just stopped it also prevented a whole lot of you know illegal crossing that was not related to um was not related to terrorism but just was related to uh, illegal immigration issues so a wall is going to have an effect the question of how big an effect people say it'll have no effect and it's a joke and it's dumb and you show me a wall i'll show you a ladder that could be said about any wall why do people in very those of you who have been in the in very dangerous urban third world countries and have and have seen what some of the security precautions entail gates often gates in the home on the second story of the house the idea being that the bad guys will ransack your house but at least they won't come after you if you're in the gated portion of the house i mean literally a gate like you're like you're an inmate if you go to some parts of the developing world that's in and these are nice neighborhoods uh but just you know the crime rate's so high you'll see this in uh, some Parts of South Africa and other a whole lot of places, uh, but you also see walls. You will see walls. Why is that? Oh, I mean, is, is a wall going to stop somebody from invading your home? No, but it's going to make it harder. And some security precautions that are imperfect are still worthwhile. So the the building of the wall is is important. Trump promised it. I don't see how he gets around it. And they have now gotten yet another 
boost of momentum here for the building of said wall. But they are up against a very uh, determined opposition. You've got DACA and sanctuary cities uh, as as high-level immigration issues still to be determined. Let me hit the break. When I come back, we'll uh, do the latest update on sanctuary cities. I mentioned this Oakland mayor, but we've actually got some sound from her on obstructing enforcement of uh, immigration laws, really what she was doing. And then also I'll talk to you about where the Republican Party is on this now. We may even hear from Lindsey Graham. So we've got a lot, a lot coming up. First, my friends, I, I've mentioned them earlier in the show, in fact, just because I'm going to be going to hang out with them next week in Savannah, and uh, hopefully they'll be joining us. But Black Rifle Coffee is the world's premium small batch roast-to-order conservative coffee company. Black Rifle Coffee was founded by veterans who recognize the link between coffee and American freedom. I'm telling you guys, all of you listening to the show, if you're coffee drinkers, stop drinking that multinational corporate left-wing stuff. No more that hippy-dippy Starbursts. Starbursts. Star Bucks is what I'm trying to find. There we go. Starbursts. Starbursts are okay. Black Rifle Coffee. That's what you want. Vote with your dollar. Fuel the revolution. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. You can type in the coupon code buck15. That'll get you 15% off your order. And you can have this coffee delivered to you. Have it ground. Have the beans sent. They've got different different varieties, different blends. They've also got really comfortable, high-quality T-shirts with cool Black Rifle Coffee slogans on them. Go check it out. Stop buying that Starbucks left-wing stuff. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Use the coupon code buck15 for 15% off. Support veterans, support freedom, and support this show. by showing your love and going to check out blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. We'll be right back. I'm not trying to be obsessed with army turtles here, but I just want to, I'm sorry. I just want to point out that according to official statistics, since 2000, the United States Army has committed over $77 million to desert tortoise protection. That's a lot of money. The desert tortoise protection efforts, this is here in the U.S., folks, have included the following. Uh, periodic... <laughs> I'm sorry. Periodic health screening. Desert tortoise dispersion. Desert tortoise reproductive output study. <laughs> the military is actually paying money to, to study tortoise, you know, getting getting freaky. Wow. Um, it goes on and on and on. Um Special fencing, that's the, the, the tortoise and the tortoise tunnels. That's a real thing. I'm not, I wasn't making this up. This is real. Wow. But yeah, they've, they've actually $77 million of your, of your tax. And this is, this is not to conserve tortoises like across the country in all. The, the military has spent almost $100 million on desert tortoise conservation efforts. $100 million. As the turtles move very slowly. <laughs> Come on, man. We're talking about a bunch of turtles here. Oh, you should have seen me, man, with these military guys. Tell it. And like, they knew that I was just, like, kind of cracking up. And I was, you know, smug little 
little government analyst there in my jeans and my T-shirt, just like, wow, really, guys? They're like, yep, environmentalist, man. What can you do? So, uh, okay, back to what's going on in, in Oakland specifically. So we've got sanctuary cities and we have uh, DACA. Those are the two big, two big immigration issues that remain to be uh, determined one way or the other. You got Oakland Mayor Libby Schiff, who in the Bay Area, which the more people I talk to now, it's just it's being is at least in the cities just being ruined I mean, f- from bad government policy across the board. They're just being ruined. I- I'm surprised that they haven't had more flight of the tax base there. But I guess they're so they're lucky to have some of the Silicon Valley and other corporations and, you know, San Francisco, I think, has a lot of international finance headquarters still there, so they can paper over these problems for a bit. But the Oakland mayor was asked, why are you warning people that federal law enforcement is going to be conducting raids? I mean, how would we feel? Let me just put this out there. How would we feel about a mayor saying, hey, uh, anybody who is involved in illegal drugs... It's nay on the uh, uh, UDS drugs dealings, eh, for the next couple of days because DEA is going to be swooping down and part of Operation Lots of Arrests. I think people would find that strange, right? They might have an issue with that. Oakland mayor's got no issue. She's proud of it. Yesterday, I learned information from multiple sources that there is potentially an ICE activity planned in the Bay Area. While I am very committed to being a law-abiding citizen, I feel confident that my sharing this information, because I did not receive it through official channels, is legal, and frankly, it's my ethical obligation. See, she realizes that as a public official, if she were to take if you were to use her position for the release of information that was not meant to be public, that would be considered law enforcement sensitive. And for, I've dealt with lots of law enforcement sensitive information in my day. Uh, that might be a problem for her, actually. And in fact, in the case of uh, New York NYPD, they rarely would they rarely use it, but they can. Um, uh, official misconduct is what they can get you on, and. If they want, it can be it can be a criminal and people can actually go away. You can do some time for that for official misconduct. So, you know, for example, if there was about to be a big raid on a drug house and you're like calling calling up your buddy and you're like, hey, media, we're about to do this big drug raid on this grow operation in this place or whatever. Although these days grow operation you know, it wouldn't be a raid. It would be like a visit to see how business is going. But anyway, uh, you know, you get in trouble. Right? If it was a poppy grow operation, you get in trouble. You get in a lot of trouble. Um, but here she's saying, well, yeah, maybe there's an ethical issue there, but, you know, I didn't find out in my official capacity. So, by the way, how are we going to know that one way or the other, right? How would we know? And maybe they called the raid off because they realized that she had tipped uh, law enforcement's hand here, Immigration and Customs Enforcement's hand. And so, but this goes to show you how ideologically devoted the proponents of mass uh, illegal immigration and mass amnesty are. They view this as a calling, my friends. Don't think that this is a policy dispute. This has entered the realm of, uh, of a, a cause for the left 
And it is in many ways for them, they view it as almost existential. Like the left, if they were to abandon illegal immigration, they would be surrendering a moral high ground that is just unthinkable for them. They could never do it. That's why trying to negotiate with them on a policy level with this is a fool's errand. Just like with guns, as I was saying to you at the start of the show, this is about so much more than the government administration intended to affect a specific issue one way or another, i.e. governance. Right? This isn't just about what the policies are that's in place. It's about much more for them. Uh, Ideologically, the left has aligned itself with an internationalist, some would say cosmopolitanist, all versions of the same thing, worldview, and that we are no different from anyone else from any other country in the eyes of our government. Yeah, in the eyes of God, we're all the same. But in the eyes of our government, we're not supposed to be the same. Other countries don't treat us the same. Why should we treat them the same, right? Why should should we have a government that makes no distinctions if it's going to have, as our government does, by the way, an extraterritorial claim on your paycheck? On your actions, you violate U.S. federal law anywhere in the world, they're coming after you. And if you're a U.S. citizen, you're living somewhere else, you do something the federal government doesn't like, they're coming after you. Never mind the fact that you're supposed to pay taxes even if you don't live in the U.S. anymore. You just still have citizenship. But those are just the manifestations of citizenship. I'm also just talking about philosophically speaking, right? Is there a difference between how our government views those of us who are citizens versus those who aren't? And the answer on the left is a decided no. It's all. I mean, if you're going to vote Democrat, no, it's all the same. It's all the same. In fact, it would be a very interesting test to see if you were to walk around California and say, hey, um, who has more right to be here? Three million illegal immigrants in California, which I don't know if that's the number or not. I'm just making that up. Or three million Republicans. I'd be very it'd be a fun test. I'd be very curious to see. I think a majority of Californians would be like three million illegals have more have more right to be here than three million Republicans. And they would say it without without blinking an eye, without even a second thought. It'd be like, oh, my gosh, what an easy question. It's ridiculous. Um, All right. And then uh, oops, I got more. Be right back. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. If we did nothing and just ended DACA and did nothing else and a lot of these young people start getting deported, then that 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 would destroy the party. So I don't think that's even a, a viable option. The options are to one or two year, punt it down the road, deal with it later, or the president engage again and see where the sweet spot's at. And it's pretty clear to me that after those four votes, you know where the sweet spot's at, which is border security uh, for DACA. Whose side is Lindsey Graham on? The question I find myself asking a fair amount. <laughs> Lindsey, what would you say you do here and who would you say you work for? Not clear to me. The sweet spot? What's the sweet spot exactly? Amnesty? That's what that's what Lindsey Graham's constituents want? That's the folks who voted for Lindsey Graham are hoping for? I highly doubt it. I find that very unlikely. Okay. Well, then what's he talking about with this whole if we allow people who are covered or DACA to be deported, our, the party's going to fall apart? No. Says who? 
How? By the way, it'll take a very long time. Even if the president decided tomorrow everyone who's illegal has got to go, it'll take a very long time just logistically to deport everybody. And not everybody would be deported, and then the country would be in a particularly combustible political state. But we do have so, – so I don't know what Lindsey Graham really thinks the answer is here. I just know Lindsey Graham's wrong. Uh, also, we have an update on DACA, courtesy of another federal court in California. Th- this is now the game, folks. This is what they do. Uh, we are seeing now that everything about DACA will just be challenged in the courts, which is exactly what I told you would happen if there were an amnesty. Let me work you through this here because this is this is important. So there was just a ruling that the federal government, um, and by the way, the way CNN writes about dreamers now when they don't call them dreamers, is, quote, young immigrants brought illegally to the United States as children. That's now the description, also known as illegal immigrants. But that's not, you'll notice, they, those two words are separated out now. Young immigrants brought to the children by people seeking a better life and just for the hopes and dreams and future generations and nation of immigrants and doing the jobs Americans won't do. Also known as illegal immigrants. Uh, but a, a federal judge in California decided that the government can't revoke DACA recipient work permits or the other protections of the program. Remember, DACA is supposed to be kind of a privilege, right? And it's based on executive discretion from the president. It's an executive order. It was not an act of Congress. It is in violation of existing federal law. And yet now we are in a situation where because one president decided to do something that was unconstitutional, the next president is being prevented by the federal judiciary at least some some judges out in California, from setting it back and setting it right. Will not allow it. The resistance judiciary is very, very real. And that's what's at work right now. So here's what they're saying. If someone is uh, in any way on the radar of the authorities... And they lose their DACA protection because of it, right? If someone gets arrested, they lose their DACA protection. Um, you you now have you're, you now have the ACLU and others claiming that they have a right to challenge that. So it's as though DACA, which is unconstitutional to begin with, which was not in President Obama's authority to do, uh, but now it's become a right. Now, DACA itself has become an expectation and you have the recipients of the Deferred Action Program challenging it in court and saying, no, you can't take this away from us now. This is exact. And the ACLU is rushing in to help them. And this is exactly what you can expect. If there were any if there were any kind of amnesty, this is the problem with the Lindsey Graham approach. You just which I could say about a lot of things, but. If there's any amnesty whatsoever for illegal immigrants in this country that is passed by Congress, it doesn't matter how specific it is. It doesn't matter how ironclad it is. There will be endless legal challenges. And what's worse, there will be federal judges in places like California and the Ninth Circus. They will side with the people bringing these lawsuits. And you can say, oh, well, Buck, it'll make its way up and appeal. Well, yeah, the appeals court will side with them. Oh, but then uh, what? It's it's all going to. We're going to hope the Supreme Court bails us out on this stuff? Come on. This is the future that we are heading for on immigration right now, my friends. You'll notice that there's 
There is no good faith on the other side. Trump made an offer that I think was too generous, and it was not enough for the Democrats. Yes, he's exposed that, but also he's created a position where Republicans like Lindsey Graham can now come out and say, yeah, we know where this we know where the sweet spot is. And what he's saying is the sweet spot is amnesty. The sweet spot is that they will um, end up just abandoning rule of law in favor of what is politically expedient at this point in time. Ronna McDaniel, the RNC chair, addressed the issue of DACA. Here's what she had to say. They don't want to give the president a win, even if it's on something they've campaigned on. They are always making the political calculation and not thinking about the people they claim to represent. These DACA uh, recipients, these 1.8 million who are being offered a path to citizenship, and they're rejecting it because they're making a political calculus that it is better to show that they're not willing to work this pre- with this president and take this issue into the midterms and hopefully gain a wow. win, win so from it. So that, that means no deal. That's what you're saying. No deal. Oh. They, have they dealt with him on anything? They're the party of no. They're the party of we won't work with the president on anything. And also Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Same idea. Absolutely. He's encouraging them to get something done. That's why he laid out exactly what he expected to see uh, in a proposal that would not only uh, help solve the DACA problem, but also provide uh, border security. The president went above and beyond what previous administrations have done and offered on that program. It's really sad that Democrats are not willing to come to the table, get something done and actually fix problems and do their job. Yep. I think she's right. I think that's a very important takeaway from all this. They talk so much about negotiation. They, for years under Obama, they, the Republicans were called the party of obstruction. And now they're making good faith efforts at negotiation to really give them things that they want. They never did that with Republicans. In the Obama era, there was nothing that they were trying to hand Republicans that they wanted. It was always just do what I say or else. That was that was Democrat negotiating 101. Do what I say or else the media will say you hate the children and hate immigrants and are racist. Wasn't particularly effective in terms of getting legislation passed, but made Democrats feel safe and warm at night. But on immigration right now, we are at an impasse because once you once you really understand what the other side wants, what the Democrats are hoping for here, you realize that there really isn't a compromise measure because you're just dealing with them. This is kind of like I'm not comparing the issues in in detail, but, you know, you're trying to negotiate away North Korea's nukes. Guess what? It's a non-negotiable. They're not going to negotiate away their nukes. You're trying to negotiate with the Democrat Party on amnesty. And say no amnesty or even a limited amnesty? Nope. Full-scale, across-the-board amnesty is the sine qua non. You like that? Latin. Of the Democrats' position on immigration. That's it. That is the centerpiece. That is the fulcrum. That is the entire effort encapsulated. And everything else is just talking points, window dressing, and nonsense. You know, what was the, what did that guy sheriff? What does him say? If, 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 you know, if, if yogurt and something were ifs and buts or what, what did he say? Remember if, 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 if ifs and buts were sugar and nuts, I'd never even heard that before. I haven't even gotten to the, how that guy needs to resign. Cause I want to take a day off from bashing the sheriff, but what a weirdo. Although I did learn a new phrase, but not one that's particularly useful. All right. We got roll call coming up. Stay right there.
Well, team, you know, you you live and learn. You live and learn. That's a that's a part of all of our uh, all of our journeys, I think. And recently, I had a little moment where I I, for, I I was reminded that sometimes you need to just make sure that there, you you understand that there's no real answer to the question. The answer is whatever you want, honey, or that's great, honey, or you don't actually engage or think. So, you know, Miss Molly uh, was getting dressed. She was going to go uh, to see some friends. She used to hang out with some ladies, some of her uh, old sorority sisters or whatever. And she asked me what I think of a shirt that she was going to wear. Now, she's way more fashionable than I am. I'm not fashionable at all, and she's quite fashionable. So she knows the way that people dress who are current, right? She's very much... Uh, on top of all that stuff. And she asked me, you know, well, what do you what do you think about this? And now I tend to when it comes to uh, women's fashion, I tend to keep it very simple. Um, I don't have much the way of ideas and whatever ideas I have, I keep to myself. Uh, but this time around, I figured I would actually just because why not? I would uh, throw out for the purposes of trying to be a little bit on the helpful side. Um. My thoughts. And and I said, honey, that shirt looks great if you're going to a maternity wear convention or a pirate costume contest because it was a little flowy. It was a little, you know, it was the fa- the fabric was billowing, you know, it was very loose. And and yeah, no, you know, no, that that did not go over well. Uh, the correct answer to what do you think of this thing that I've already put on is it looks great. It doesn't matter what it is. If she puts on a chicken suit and says, I'm going out to a fancy dinner, what do you think of this? I say, honey, you make that chicken suit look good. This is something that I had at one point known, but somehow briefly, uh, very briefly forgot. And it was just a a little reminder. Uh, She did not agree that uh, the shirt looked like something you'd find at a pirate costume contest. I mean, it was very, like, the sleeves, it was very flowy, and nope, arr, matey, nope, unacceptable. Um, and I uh, I got the cold shoulder for a little bit there. All right, we got some uh, some emails coming in to our official team, buck at gmail.com email address. By the way, Producer Mike, can we get, like, a an actual professional email address for the show? We just set that up because we didn't want to have to, I don't know, go through the two steps probably needed to. Yeah, why don't we actually do the process the way... The way that others do, and we'll get an official, an official, official email instead of just calling it official. So with that, we'll go to some of the uh, emails, and then we'll get into more of the Facebook messages. First, we've got Doug, who writes, "You need to watch The Incredibles by Disney Pixar. You will love it. Shields high." What am I getting here from the team? Thumbs up. Yeah, The Incredibles. Th- oh, double thumbs up. Okay. All right. All right. The Incredibles apparently a good, a good movie. I have not seen it. With a very large, the guy who's very large at a very small desk, right? I, I feel like I saw advertisements for it, and I remember that. Um, that's how I feel at my desk, putting on my jeans, all of the above. Uh, so next here, we've got Rito writes in, First National Bank of Omaha. Wait a second. I just realized I totally skipped it. We're doing roll call, and I didn't even really. Gosh, Buck. Get Team Buck. It's time for Roll Call. I mean, the announcer's a little late with it there, but better late than never on the Roll Call. So there we go. All right. So back to uh, this email from Rita. 
First National Bank of Omaha has been my bank for decades. I wrote them to express my disappointment with their decision. They are a huge bank in town and should be able to withstand the bullying from a few lefty bots. I want to change banks, but it's a lot of work. Having principles is hard, but we can't let this tactic succeed. Shields high from Rita. Rita, you're totally right. Having principles is hard. And the good guys don't always win. These And life is not fair. And these are things that you uh, you know growing up because you're told them. And then you live life and you realize how true they are. And they just get more and more true with time. <sighs> yes, that's your... Uh... My, my moment of wisdom, Buck's pint of wisdom for the day. Uh, Ken writes in next year. He writes, Buck, I feel like this officer's failure to do his job is not an argument for more gun control. It should be an argument for more concealed carry. An old adage is that when seconds count, you can rely on the police to be only minutes away. Now it seems we can't always rely on the police to protect us or our kids, even if they are there in time to make a difference. I know the overwhelming majority of police or even non-trained human beings would have tried their best to do something as quickly as possible. The country is safer with guns in the hands of sane individuals. Shields high, Ken. Ken, totally agree. The country is safer with individuals uh, who are law-abiding and patriotic, having firearms. And also, the let, let's be very clear that the history of uh, West this, this Pax Americana that we have lived in for quite a while is not actually that long in the whole sweep of history. And if you look back, regimes going tyrannical, uh, that has been the reality of human existence. It's just a question of when throughout existence, right? Eventually things go bad. There is, we might be in the, in the first break from that cycle of tyranny in, in human history in a way uh, that is continuous. Well, that is continuous. We may be in it. I don't know. And only in certain countries and only in certain parts of the world. But tyranny was a fact of a fact of not just life, a fact of existence for uh, millennia. And just a question of whether it was a really bad tyrant or a not, a not quite as bad tyrant. So with that, uh, we go into the Facebook inbox here and we have Nathan who writes the following. Uh, your search. Oh, he did. I saw this yesterday. Some people were posting this, that if you Google AR-15 and shopping, nothing pops up. Did not match any shopping results. That that seems strange to me. It feels like that's a political decision because uh, there's a lot of places you could go buy an AR-15. Right, so what's going on with that? Somebody would need to explain. And, uh, yeah, nothing. nothing. I, Producer Mike, we got to try this. Did, did, did you get results for AR-15 shopping? Let me know. Do you have something there? I can't do this. I'm on just it. getting recent articles on what recent articles on Air 15 right now. That's all you're getting. OK. Yeah. I mean, Air 15 shopping. Hmm. All right. Here we go. Patrick, next up here. Opera. I'm concerned that you might think that Pretty Woman is an action movie. Wow, that's cold, Patrick. That's cold. Um, I actually think Pretty Women. Or, sorry. Little Women. Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman is a deeply misogynistic film. And I'm not somebody who says these things about movies, but I think the pretty woman is uh pretty woman is a uh, a slap in the face to women across the country really. Oh yeah, he just happens to be walking around and finds this like heart of gold m- model-looking, wonderful, ethical streetwalker on like Rodeo Drive or Hollywood Boulevard or wherever it is. 
and then everything everyone lives happily ever after. I I just think that's a that's a very bizarre tale and so many you know I mean something you know, a little a little prostitution and it's not like it's a big deal and she meets Richard Gere you can think about it it's actually a really offensive movie I think it's a really offensive movie it's preposterous too also here's a secret about me team do not like I do not like Julia Roberts and I know everyone's like oh Julia Roberts is so great false Julia Roberts has had great roles Julia Roberts is neither a fantastic actress nor all that appealing, in my in my opinion, in my professional opinion about on-screen appeal. I'm just not liking it. Um, that's where I'm going to have to close it for today here in the Freedom Hut. I'm ending on a sour note with Julia Roberts. Anyway, uh, let me know your thoughts, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. I'm uh, looking forward to joining you tomorrow in the hut, as is our custom. And thank you so much for, for hanging out. I will see you tomorrow. And you know your mandate, Shields High.